Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. your host, Brian Tripp. And we welcome you into another edition of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Brian Tripp with you once again, and please be joined this time by men's hockey head coach, Guy Gadowski. Coach, great to see you. Hey, good to see you. See, you're in a sling today, though. That's uh, yeah. getting oh. taken care of before the season. Hey, absolutely. We're all, you know, you all do a bunch of maintenance before the season to get ready for the real stuff. And with me, it just meant a little elbow surgery to get going. What's it been like? this ride here for you, this journey at Penn State. I mean, it's been a little while now. It has. You know, it's funny. We've been here eight years, and it sure has flown by. It, it has been amazing. It's been awesome. Um, I think just to to be in the Big Ten, to be at Penn State, is something special on its own. But when you do get to be a part of a new program and, and this arena and, and what has become such an unbelievable atmosphere and the success that the guys have had, I mean, the team's had a lot of success, and, a lot of national national recognition, and it's been so much fun. Uh, I I really I, I I absolutely have loved every minute of it. I think throughout this journey for your program and the growth of the program, it's been documented pretty well, and you've talked a lot about that. So, how do you measure as a program the success that you've been able to have, and what kind of standards do you set for the future moving forward? Uh, it's a it's a good question. I think it changes every year. Like it really does. It depends on. You know, I remember at one time our, our goal was to win one game and there was speculation as to how many years it would take to do that. And then after you do that, there's, you know, you're, you want to do something in the playoffs. And that happened relatively quickly. And, and then I don't think people ever said, well, you know, at that time we weren't thinking, geez, when you win the Big Ten, I don't know how many people were thinking of that. And we did. So it changes every year. And now I think it's more internal on we know when we do a good job and and uh, there's times you have success in individual games where you don't feel you have done a great job and there's times when you 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 know lose and you feel actually you know what we're getting there we really played well and and hockey's a unique game you know you have goaltenders and bouncing pucks and referees and when you put those three components together anything can happen it's not always the best team wins so i think to answer your question it's sort of a fluid thing we 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 as a staff talk about it a lot uh, where we want to go and and in hockey I think specifically it's tough just because the, the you know the score on the scoreboard does not necessarily indicate how you're doing well that score your team at least has had a lot of goals throughout your time here at Penn State let's go all the way back to to when you were growing up in Edmonton and your playing days that's kind of where this whole yeah. thing started for yeah. you as someone who wanted to see high scoring hockey yeah it's how we were you know it's what we were used to it's what we fell in love with and it was at a time for for those older people listening, that in the 80s with the Oilers, and they have the Gretzky and Messier and Anderson and Coffee and Lowe and you name it, Yerry Curry and so on. And, and you know, I remember just we, we always knew they'd score seven goals. We just didn't know uh, wh- wh- how many the other team was going to get. And, and it became obviously a very successful way to play, and, and aside from that, extremely entertaining. And it's where a lot of us from Edmonton really, really fell in love with that style of play. And and saw that it could be successful. So, yeah, that's a, that's precisely where it started. Now, did you fit that style at your playing days, Colorado <laughs> College, and then onto the professional ranks? No, you actually had to have skill to play that way. So that was the difference between my style and what, what I wanted to see on the ice for our teams. 
during your playing days, did you always know that you wanted to be a, a coach one day? I know your your whole family is teachers, so you yeah. kind of think of that as your own way of teaching. Yeah, 100%. And I didn't know it um, right off the hop, but about halfway through my pro career, I think I've, I've been playing after college for three or four years, and and uh, it, it became really obvious that I needed hockey. Uh, I, I needed it. It wasn't that I, I just needed it. I needed to be a part of it. It wouldn't matter what I was doing in my life. I knew I had to be a part of hockey. And because of that, and my you know, because of what my whole family did as teaching, it just seemed like a real natural progression. It felt felt right. So for, I think, the last three or four years of, of, of playing professionally, I, I knew I wanted to be a coach and prepared that way. You know, every summer was, was taken up and getting certifications and, and going to different coaching clinics and getting coaching certifications, strength and conditioning certifications, you name it, and then keeping a log on of the coaches I was fortunate enough to be around on what I felt were the best best systems, best drills, best motivations, everything like that. So I, I sort of felt that I was preparing to be a coach long before I actually became one. So you've taken things from different coaches along the way, but I'm guessing you've taken things from your family as well that you've inherited almost growing up. Yeah, well, 100%. I, you know, I always, well, it was so fun, like when you go back home and, and you end up meeting people wherever you are, it still happens to me that when people find out my last name is Gadowski, they, uh, you know, I, I, I often get, oh, as in, as an Orson Godowski, was he a teacher? He was my teacher back in like, you know, three decades ago. He was the best teacher ever. And and I think the reason I heard that a lot is he really made things fun. Like he was very demanding on what you learned, but he made it fun. And, and I'd like to think, and, and from the responses that our staff gets from, from our student athletes that we've coached now for a long time, and that's, that's similar to how they feel about the environment that we create. So, yeah, that's definitely from my dad. You started in the West Coast Hockey League, then you moved to college hockey at Alaska Fairbanks. Was college hockey always somewhat of a goal for you, or is that just kind of the natural progression that your career's taken? No, it was. It was uh, that's that's that was the goal, and and there was one more stop along the way before that was I actually coached roller hockey mm-hmm. prior to being uh, a coach in the West Coast Hockey League, and I was in, I was assistant in, um, in the East Coast League before a player assistant, a player assistant in the West Coast League. And then my first head job was actually in roller hockey. It was with Roller Hockey International, which was at the time really fun. It was a lot of the NHL um, organizations had the team. So we played in NHL buildings, and you had cheerleaders and TV. And so it was really fun. It was, it was a good time, but it was, it was really neat to learn because you couldn't call anybody. Whereas now, if we do have problems, we try to figure them out, but we can call likes of you know Ken Hitchcocks and and Glenn Gullitsons and others that that we trust very we really trust and they know us and we can sort of discuss our issues well in roller hockey there is no one and so you have to figure everything out for yourself and I that was I thought a really really valuable experience you mentioned Ken Hitchcock I know he was a valuable resource for you when you were at Princeton during the NHL lockout yeah he was uh the first year we got there actually is is when the NHL locked out and he was at the time with the Philadelphia Flyers. And so um, when I arrived at Princeton, we didn't have a, I mean, there was nothing. There was no file. There was no staff. And, and um, I, I asked him, I, I just, I said, you know, since since you guys are locked out, I mean, can I borrow your goalie coach for a while? And he said, well, you know, I, I, I don't know, but I'll help you out. And he came in and I thought it was going to be a, you know, a one, one-time thing or one-week thing. And and all year, he, he came to several practices every week. Uh, he came to games, and he'd hide. He didn't want any, you know, he'd hide at the top. He wouldn't want anybody, you know, to know who he was. And, and we'd send him the tapes of the away games. And, and he was, I mean, obviously for our entire staff, that was a, that was a master's in hockey. That was an incredible edu- educational experience. And his footprints are still uh, well 
well planted on everything that we do. Let's go back to Alaska, where, where your college career started as a coach. What was it like not only coaching there, but, but living in Fairbanks, Alaska? Yeah. You know what? I, I got to tell you, I loved it. It was, um, you know, similar to Penn State in the sense of the passion that they had for our hockey program. And here at Penn State, it's for athletics in, in general and what they do. In, 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 in Fairbanks, Alaska, that, that passion was really directed towards the hockey program because it was the only Division One sport they had in the state. And so they felt a lot of um, ownership and identity towards how the hockey program was going. So our players were very recognizable and very much cared for, and, and it was a wonderful thing when we started having success. The, you know, I remember we'd have a post-game press conference that, that uh, we invited fans to, and I remember the first one had six people. And then a year later, um, it grew to 300, 400 people, and uh, uh, the support was amazing. So that was really cool. Uh, to, to really feel the passion was wonderful. As far as living there, um, the care that they have for the student-athletes was sort of the care that they had for your neighbor. Like, you you helped each other out. It's just how, how it is. Uh, if you needed water brought to you, your neighbors would do it. And if you ever got a flat tire and it's minus 40 out, people were, you know, sprinting to help you and it was that kind of atmosphere which was really cool what was the coldest it ever got there um i i don't know the exact coldest but i do remember the first time so in fairbanks we used to go on uh long road trips mm -hmm. uh, to save money for because our traveler our, our our nearest opponent was still four hour four time zones away <laughs> uh so i remember once a year we'd go on a what it was a 13 day road trip and uh it was prior to my wife now, Melissa. She was uh, she moved up there with me, and and we're living together. and uh, And she grew up in California. And I remember the first thirteen road, thirteen day road trip that we went on. It just so happened that the highest high during that time was minus forty two. And when I got back, I was shocked to see her there. <laughs> there is a, a common thread here between. Alaska Fairbanks, Princeton, and Penn State, rebuilding or building projects from, from the ground up. So what attracts you to, to that type of program? Yeah, I don't think it was by design, but the, the roller hockey one is, was yeah. as well. It was a last-place team who actually didn't get a chance to hire their coach until after the draft, and that was very much a similar situation. And uh, and the West Coast Hockey League was a startup as well, and, and Fairbanks, uh, UAF, was dead last in the nation when – when we took that job and Princeton was dead last in the nation when we got that and, and Penn State, as you know, was a club team. So, yeah, very similar. It, it wasn't anything that we looked for. It just sort of that's the way it happened. And I think, you know, the experiences of the past of, I guess, building something or rebuilding something were are very valuable. I, I, I mean, I think it, it served us and our staff really well for when we came here. But trust me, it wasn't we weren't we weren't actively seeking out that opportunity. When you take the, the Penn State job, uh, what's that decision process like? Because when the job opens, there isn't a shovel in the ground yet for Pagula Ice Arena. It's more of a, a concept and an idea. So so what are the things that you try to identify to think, okay, this is the right opportunity at the right yeah, school? It was a, you know, it really was a difficult decision um, for myself and the family because of how, you know, the the experience that we had at Princeton and, and such great ties with the community and as, as well as our student athletes, as you can imagine, are really just high quality people that we, we really just love being around. And, and we had a lot of success there as well. And everything was great. And, and trust me, we, we talked about it as a staff and a family that we weren't going to leave for just anything. But when Penn state came in, there's a few things. One is, as I told you, you know, the experience in Alaska, that the passion for 
your program is something I really value and love. I love being a part of that. And, and you know, you know about Penn State's passion uh, for the university, for their athletic department and different sports programs is unbelievable. It's, it's probably, as, you know, to coin a phrase, unrivaled. It really is. And to be a part of that is, is something I is really attractive to me, really, really attractive. Um, in this, in, at the time when I was in Alaska, I was in the CCHA with Michigan, Michigan State, mm-hmm. Notre Dame, Ohio State. And we saw how those programs excelled and the support they got. And, and uh, the Big Ten schools just had it. There was just a different deal. And that's something that was attractive as well. And then, you know, Terry Pagula, um, the fact of who he is and, and his association with, with NHL, I thought was great for college hockey. And you put those factors together, um, it just seemed like an opportunity that we couldn't pass up. What was it like talking to Terry throughout that process and see his vision and how it's come to fruition now? Yeah, one of the things that attracted me is that, you know, he he's very passionate about Penn State, obviously, mm-hmm. and that, that shines through. But but also his vision that, you know, he wasn't – this wasn't just, hey, I want to play D1 hockey. Um, he really wanted to improve hockey in, in Pennsylvania and specifically Center County region. And I like that. I You know, I two, two young boys that play hockey and – I, I think it's great for our sport um, in general as well as college hockey. And that, w- that came through pretty clear. The other thing that was um, really attractive about him is that, that when you first meet him, you know he's Terry Pugula. And then in about 30 seconds, he's a hockey guy. And, and you, you, he just has this really unique way of making you forget who he is. And you're just, he's just a hockey guy that loves hockey and loves talking hockey. And I thought that was the coolest thing. And just, you know, his his love for the sport really shines through, and that was something that was uh, I, I always thought was really cool. We hear people described as that all the time around the sport, a hockey guy. How would you define a hockey guy? Man, I just, someone that just so, so much loves the game and is knowledgeable about it and, and appreciates the finer points of it, and he does. And he, you, he knows, I think it's just someone that really appreciates the finer points and the competitiveness and what makes hockey unique. He gets, and, and he loves it. He very clearly loves it. Uh, I guess that's how you define it. It's it's probably not a clear definition, but that's how that's how I do it right now. Would you use the word humility as well? Oh, with Terry, with Mr. Pagula, and anyone, a lot of people involved in, in hockey, in the culture. Yeah, I mean there is that. It it, it is a very team first orientated culture, and and it fits Terry. You know how humble he is, mm-hmm. and he's he's always deflecting recognition uh, to those around him, and it's sort of he he is very much I think comfortable in the in the hockey culture. And that hockey culture is something that's a foundation of your program here at Penn State and creating an environment for success on the ice, but also in the locker room and team chemistry and in the classroom, in the community. So how important was it from day one to build that and have then the continuity of Keith Fisher and Matt well, Lindsay? That's exactly where it came from. I mean, we were really fortunate that those two came with us from Princeton. And and I got to tell you, the, the culture that we had at Princeton was fantastic. And a lot of that credit goes to the guys, obviously, but I think with with ML and Fish, they understand that extremely well. And they were, you know, very adamant that when they came here, like, that's what they're taking with them. They, they love that the most about Princeton, and we want to trans, transport that here, um, and not only athletically but academically. And those two, it, it does create the culture of your program, and they're great for that. They understand it. They love it. It was something that they were adamant about. So when we got here, you said it yourself. You know, you, you build a foundation with that culture, that leads to success. We didn't, we didn't, the first day we didn't say this is our goal to win this at all. 
our goal was always to build a great foundation that will lead to success later. And I think that specifically with Keith Fisher and Matt Lindsay, they did an unbelievable job of that. So what kind of players were you looking for, and has that changed yeah. throughout the years? We try not to. I mean, it's something that we talk about every year about how recruiting's going as we get more successful, what's available to us that we don't ever want to lose that. And I think that, if you say what kind of players, I think probably first, if you look at Tommy Olchek, the reason why he came here was probably uh, is a good definition for that. And he remember when he was recruited, he said, you know, I, I'm – I want to be. I want to look back at this and be really proud of what we built. Like he was very well aware of the, the the big picture on that, and and that's what he that's what sort of turned him on. And and you need a unique person that that doesn't want necessarily like immediate recognition and doesn't want to show up and have all the lights on. I mean, it's someone that that really takes appreciation in the fact of building the building blocks to make that happen. And that's that was Tommy. And I think. You know, his the experience recruiting him and then what he meant to the program led to other guys like David Glenn, for example, that are very much similar. Knowing the rivalries that had developed for a long time in college hockey and you played at CC, so the CCHA and the WCHA, the Big Ten, that's a seismic shift to college yeah, hockey. A lot of yeah. exposure with the Big Ten network and national TV contracts, but a seismic shift. Now yeah. that it's played out for seven years, where do you feel like it's at? Yeah, I, th I mean, I think it's still evolving, obviously, and you're, you're absolutely right that it was a seismic shift. I think a lot of people would say it um, in a very positive way for the exposure it's given our sport um, in North America and beyond. And then some would say a seismic shift that possibly wasn't good for, for rivalries that, that had grown over decades in, in college hockey historically. So I still think that there might be I think some, I don't think the jury's out on that. Um, I think there's still, we still have to wait to see. So it is evolving, but I can tell you that, you know, what everybody did think was going to happen in terms of the quality of this league, it absolutely happened. Um, you look two years ago, we had th three of our, we had three of our seven teams in the, is in the frozen four. And hockey, to determine that the NCAA field, as you know, is is strictly mathematics. It's it's not a committee that sits and says they think that's team this team is better than that. So when you have seven teams that are as tough and successful, um, you know they're all not making it. It's become tough. It's tough, and uh, the quality of the hockey is actually absolutely where everybody expected it. It's it's <laughs> it's extremely intense, extremely high quality, great players, great staffs, and all of that, but it certainly makes it tough to retain the success of some of those programs that were so historically dominant for a long time. As a coaching staff and as someone who's competitive yourself, how does that, how do you handle that over the course of hockey's a long season, five months, knowing that every weekend a split might not even be a bad, a bad result? Yeah, you know, that's something we talked about as a staff because in the CCHA there was always Aside from the Big Ten and maybe the NCHC could probably maybe uh, say that they're there as well, but there are no you can you can say there are no easy nights until the Big Ten. That was absolutely it was more of a cliche, and now it's an absolute fact, and it is tough. The grind as you get later on in the season, there is a grind. You don't have in other conferences where where we coached before that you know weekends coming up and hey, you might want to rest a couple guys. You can take it easy mentally. You can take a couple days off during the week, and, and you can still have success. And in this league, you have to compete at your absolute highest level 
Friday at the drop of the puck and hope that it's enough Saturday in the third period. And that's that's the way it is week after week after week. And the implications of that down the stretch are 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 big. I mean, it it do, it is a different feeling with that kind of demand. And this is part of how college hockey has changed here. Where do you see college hockey going next year over the next 10, 15 years? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I, I do think that we're going to continue to have more and more players play in the NHL. Um, I think it's, what, 12, 14 years ago, something like that. I think we were at, I want to say, 12 or 13% of NHL players came from college, where now it's 32%. And that keeps going up. Um, I think it's a, it actually speaks a lot to the quality of the programs that, that we have in college hockey, it, the type of athletes that are attracted to college hockey, not only here in the States and in Canada, but we're getting more and more Europeans, as our team is a perfect example of. And, and I think you're going to continue to see that. Where where we sit with conferences and things like that, oh, I, you know, uh, I, I have no idea. If you weren't coaching college hockey, what would you be doing? I'd be doing video editing, guaranteed. I, I love it. I think it's, it's when I was in Alaska, we didn't have all the resources that we have here at Penn State. So I used to do the year-end video and um, I would do it with, as, as we did back then, with VCRs and, and tapes. And it, it would take over 100 hours, and we'd be trying to dub in the music and things like that. But I loved it. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was fun. I thought it was artistic. And I, and I know that the student athletes really enjoyed it, and so did the fans. And it's something I liked. And then throughout the years, obviously, coaches, we do so much video work that it's something that I think is really valuable. I think it's edu- you know you can really learn from it, and and when done right, like the like what we have here at Penn State, the guys here are phenomenal. Nacho's crew, uh, and Kyle Rinaldi. I mean, they're just they're they're phenomenal, and we see what you know awesome films can do. That stuff really, I I really admire their work. So if I wasn't doing this, I'd be working for them. You didn't want to be like Scorsese or something like that. <laughs> no, I'm more more into the uh, the sports aspect. But it's funny after after those experiences of making the year in videos, I've always wanted to actually try my hand at, at at movie editing. Besides hockey, what other interests, hobbies? You're a pretty busy guy during the season, but out of the season, what do you like to do? You know, I'm a pretty boring guy. Uh, the truth is I do uh, pretty much out of the season whatever my, my family and kids are into is what I'm doing. If one of them happens to be into bowling, I'm bowling, and the other is in golf, I'm golfing. And, uh, you know, and they always like their pets, so I'm caring for pets as well. Pretty boring guy. How many pets at home right now? Uh, only six. Only six? Yeah. Three and three. Three dogs, three cats? Three dogs, three cats, and a lot of fish, yeah. That's a lot to take care of. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I can't, you know what, if my wife's listening to this, she, she's saying, well, that's because he doesn't, that she does it all, but I try to help out where I can. And this is one thing I wanted to ask every coach before we wrap up the podcast. What makes a good coach? I think it's different for everybody. You know, I, I remember having some unbelievably great coaches that were so good. For one guy, example, Roy Sommer. He's the winningest coach in the American Hockey League mm-hmm. history. And he's such an amazing guy. Like, he's the kind of guy that would go by himself and, and, and travel through Europe and, and hitchhike along the way by himself and, and you know, meditate. And, and, you know, I remember just walking down the street. If, if there was anybody that, that was in need, he would be the first one to come up pull cash out of his pocket and give it to this guy and the way he was and he used to just have a great relationship with his players and go out with his players uh and i remember just saying he's just the greatest guy and everybody really loves to play for him so i want to go out with my players and and the more i try to emulate that it 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 doesn't necessarily work and and we've also had other coaches that were extremely extremely successful but extremely tough Mm -hmm. and extremely demanding and almost 
you know, they coach through fear. And I remember thinking, but they're so successful that, hey, I want to, you know, do that. And, and the more I tried that, it didn't work either until you really find yourself. So I, I think when you say what makes a good coach, you can, there's so many different ones, but I think it's those that are really know themselves and uh, well and are comfortable with themselves and are confident in what they know, not necessarily what they, uh, it's always good to do research, but not necessarily what they read and uh, what they learn from others, but what they really know inside their heart. And when you really know something, you, te- you tend to be able to teach it a lot better. That's what I think. Well, I think when you look at a lot of movies, the hockey coach is typically portrayed as the rah-rah guy is going to come in and kick the garbage can over. You're not that here at Penn State. No, and it's something you learn, and I think that's a little Hollywood-ish. I think that uh, you know that if, especially in the NHL, if you're going to coach 82 games plus playoffs, um, you know, they're going to turn that speech off pretty quick. I think that you do need the ability to, when when you need something to be heard, mm-hmm. that you have an ability to say it and you'll be listened to, that's for sure. But I think the more you pull that card out, the less it less it really works. And, and I think the best coaches are the ones that are really consistent with their messaging um, and, and don't necessarily have to get all riled up to have uh, their players listen to them. And how important is it for that message to come from the players? Yeah, it's all about transference of leadership, at least how we do things here with, with, with our staff. Like we don't – our goal is to to have the the team know it's their team, um, not it's, – it's not our staff's team. It's their team. And when that happens and they really take ownership in that, I think there's a transformation that's always positive. Coach, appreciate the time. Have a great 2019-2020 season. We'll talk to you again soon, hopefully, here on the podcast. Tripper, great seeing you. Thank you. Penn State men's hockey head coach Guy Gadowski here on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics.